This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, guys, welcome back to the Establish the Past podcast presented by Clutch Points. Uh, I am your host, Blake Lovell. With me is my co-host, Dylan Reagan. And Dylan, after a uh, little hiatus there for us, uh, you were traveling and uh, we couldn't get our logistics worked out, but uh, that's okay because we took the week off uh, because I think we probably just couldn't comprehend everything that was going on in this crazy set of playoffs thus far. And I think for another reason too, Dylan, and I'll let you comment on this, but you know, I really think the reason we took the week off was because you did not want to hear that I was going to pick the Titans to beat the Ravens, and <laughs> you didn't want to give me that luxury of being right about that one, so we just decided, you know what, we're not going to do it, we're not going to let Blake have his picks this week, uh, because you knew, you knew I was going to pick the Titans to beat the Ravens. Well, you had the makeup for the wild card weekend. I think I went one for three, and you may have missed. I was over all four. Of them. Yes. <laughs> so you may have gotten all these right. I think I was probably going to lean towards all home teams. It was going to be very boring yeah. um, if we had done the picks for this one. But yeah, I mean, the Titans, as we'll go into it, wasn't the most shocking uh, result in terms of them winning, but how they did maybe is a little more surprising. But I think the real reason we didn't podcast last week is I didn't want to talk about the demise of the Bills. I just couldn't bring myself. <laughs> to do that to uh, you know after everything yeah. we've gone through this season so we can maybe get to that after the, the season in term when we start kind of breaking down each of these teams going towards uh, the 2020 campaign but yeah, yeah. still a, f- a fun weekend that we just had and yeah a lot of things have happened since we last recorded so we'll catch up on all that for sure yeah we will and uh we'll start off here with the uh the divisional round games like we said um yeah i would have been boring too i would have picked all four home teams i don't even think i would have considered any other way uh but as we know it didn't exactly turn out that way and certainly the way some of these games turned out were a lot wilder uh than we expected so let's get things started uh here let's go uh, all the way back to uh that first game on saturday which was the 49ers beating the vikings 27 to 10 to advance to the nfc title game um i think this if we would have talked about this game last week if to be honest with you you know we said it several times throughout the year this probably would be one that that really just played out exactly how we expected it Mm -hmm. to because it wasn't a game that i felt like the vikings just i know what they did against the saints but as we've said for a while now this 49ers defense much different um and it was a game where it just never felt like the vikings were going to be able to do enough on offense like you know defensively sure they they could have you know kept it as a low scoring type of game but uh you know the 49ers scored 27 points and once again i mean the niners running game their defense that's a recipe for success and uh they got it put it all together and uh now moving on to the nfc title game 
Yeah, if Minnesota's going to have a chance, they're going to have to really slow down the run. They could not do it the entire game. And, you know, we've talked a number of times about how they've struggled against some of these better offenses. A lot of times it's been teams that pass the ball well. That was not the case on Saturday. Jimmy Garoppolo did not have one of his better performances. And it's really the only reason that at halftime it was only a four-point game that, you know, the Vikings had that one long touchdown to Diggs. But otherwise, you know, they hadn't really done too much on offense and they get the interception right there at the end. The Niners hold them to a field goal. But nonetheless, it looked a lot closer at that point than it really was. I mean, we're going to, until it was garbage time, the Vikings had four first downs and 80-something yards. It was ridiculous. They just <laughs> were completely dominated. They were uh, The offensive line was completely overmatched. And you see when this full, you know, this full defensive line for the Niners is healthy, how dangerous they are. I mean, the secondary has improved a lot from last season, but you really see the impact of having four guys that can all rush the passer as well as Ford, Armstead, Buckner, and then obviously Bosa. It was, it was something to behold, and uh, it's going to be a scary proposition as they move forward because if Garoppolo plays even just a little better than this this team uh, I mean you know as we talked about they're the most complete team in the NFC uh, the, I thought you know we didn't really talk about what happened in the Saints Vikings game last week but yeah I thought the Saints may have been the biggest threat to the Niners I still think the Packers could beat them but this team if they play their best I mean we, we I'm not sure if they fully did on Saturday and they still really dominated the Vikings and that's kind of what they've done this season against good teams not great teams and yeah it was it was uh, out of all the games the one that kind of went like you're saying like you're saying exactly kind of how you'd predict it to uh, maybe the Vikings you predict it a little better <laughs> moving the ball I mean uh, yeah. you know the Niners haven't been amazing defending the run and Dalvin Cook could do nothing so uh, if they can stop the run and uh, you know as we get into the next game that's going to be a real big problem for the Packers yeah 21 rushing yards uh, not a recipe for success there uh, to win on the road against uh, the best team in the NFC and it didn't work out for the Vikings but uh, I guess on the flip side it's also strange to look at the Niners and getting a a 17 point win when your quarterback you know only completes 11 passes and so uh very very interesting game but uh, as we said pretty much how most people expected that one to go and now the Niners uh will wait for uh their next opponent which we'll talk about here in a minute uh, but before we do that uh, we get to the the game that really well this was the game before the game that that had everybody talking I guess you could say uh, because we certainly had one on Sunday that, that was uh, even more wild than this one was um, the Titans and the Ravens uh, the 14 and 2 Baltimore Ravens came into this game with all the momentum the hottest team in the NFL and uh, they got just dominated uh, there's no other way to put it 28 to 12 the Titans win this game um I, I it was I mean it was it was domination Dylan I don't know any other way to put it like the Titans just completely controlled this game and you know Lamar Jackson goes 31 of 59 <laughs> for 365 yards and a touchdown yes 59 pass attempts Derrick Henry 30 carries 195 yards um i guess we have to give you the nod here because you did pick the titans to win the division they didn't ultimately do that but at least you had them in the playoffs i guess by winning the division um but for me it's just the ultimate like we started this podcast one of our big things was the fc south and me telling you to never trust the titans and what do you know (laughs) here they are now they are one win away from the Super Bowl on a team that came into the season simply feeling like I think we even said it, you know, you you did you picked the Titans to win the division before when we did our preseason predictions. But even you were saying, we both said this, you know, it still feels like a team that's like they're average. They're an average type of team. Uh, maybe they win that division just because nobody else in that division is good enough uh, to be able to to you know make that nine and seven mm-hmm. type of mark. 
but here they are now, Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> I mean, there, there's another situation. Like, this guy completes seven passes for two touchdowns. Derrick Henry has a passing touchdown. But he was, once again, he is the story. Um, yes, Lamar Jackson is, you know, is the MVP for those 16 games. But Derrick Henry, unbelievable performance. Uh, and the Titans win it by 16 on the road against the number one team in the AFC. Uh, I don't even know. I don't know where you even start with this because <laughs> it was just absolutely mind-blowing. I, I think the lesson for the Titans is if you have expectations, it's a problem. But as long as <laughs> yes. you don't, you're fine. You're like you're yep. you're, cru- you're on cruise control. And I mean, they've beaten, as you know, we go uh, eventually into this AFC title game. They beat the Chiefs. It took a, a blocked uh, field goal and some uh, extra luck. But you, nonetheless, this team finds ways to win games. Uh, not often are you going to win the turnover battle three zero and then you know get two stops on fourth and inches. But kind of the stars aligned and the Titans capitalized. This is a team that over the last few weeks is just when they get in the red zone, they're only scoring touchdowns touchdowns that rate is probably not going to keep up but nonetheless they've just been so efficient and it's adding up to victories as they you know take down uh, obviously the Patriots down um that you know we didn't get to talk about that game but Patriots down this season a little bit obviously compared to where they've been in the past but you know they take down the dynasty then they take down the the new you know the MVP in this offense I think that's the the biggest surprise for me from this game not necessarily that Derrick Henry was able to dominate because he's been doing it for a few weeks now. He's I uh, just read earlier he has the the most yards in any eight game stretch in NFL yep. history. So uh, rushing the ball, so that's just absurd. And then you have uh, against this Ravens team, the defense did improve, but their run defense wasn't. It was never spectacular. Their secondary really improved a lot. And uh, if the Titans were going to win, you could see this formula working out. But I did not anticipate. Tennessee's defense holding the Ravens to 12 points I mean as a lot of people pointed out the even the Patriots with their offense and all the struggles it's had managed to score an extra uh, one point on the Ravens against this <laughs> Titans D it's it was phenomenal they're gonna have a much you know a really big challenge uh, a different challenge in the Chiefs coming up but that was the biggest thing for me the, the fact that they were able to it was a lot of bending and not breaking I know Will Brinson from CBS Sports tweeted out uh, at one point like all the drives the Titans had that ended with the inside or sorry the Ravens had the ended inside the Titans like 30 yard line basically and they only ended up with 12 points it's a combination of all the turnovers and going for a fourth down and not getting it and just so many little things added up and Tennessee I mean the, the turning point obviously you have the the one fourth down early in the game when it's 7-0 Tennessee their Ravens go for it in their own territory somehow don't get it one play later you have the quick strike from Tannehill and you're talking about him and you know under 100 yards again it's the first time I, I was reading since 1974 with Terry Bradshaw that a quarterback had two playoff wins in a row with under 100 passing yards in each game it's just such a, <laughs> uh, a complete throwback uh, with the way they do it but that's because as you talked about Derrick Henry is really the story for the Titans the dude they can have nine ten guys in the box uh, and it, it really doesn't matter he's just gonna find a way to get through them it's not there's nothing really complicated about it he's just too tough to bring down he's you no know, at you know at a certain point of that game you know after they'd taken enough body blows they could not stop him from getting five six yards to carry and then if he does break loose he has that speed that is really underrated and he's able to get you know inside the five and that one before his uh passing touchdown himself they just brought everything 
and it was such a fun team and yeah as you said I picked them to win the division I did not anticipate it going this way I I do feel uh, good about myself for making the note about Tannehill being a huge upgrade and that could be a difference maker how he had played in 2016 before he got hurt with the Dolphins so I did not anticipate him playing this well but he's not you know as we just said he's still not throwing over 100 (laughs) yards or still not utilizing him in the way that you would exactly anticipate from a modern offense but it doesn't matter and here they are uh, one one away from the Super Bowl that you know seven I was I, I really thought about mid I think it was like the mid second quarter when it was 14-0 I thought about tweeting at you about you know the all AFC South <laughs> AFC title game I was really like thinking uh, about I it know. and then yesterday I still held back when it was 24-0 we'll get to that game in a second yep. but I was I was ready for that you know a team that's never you know started into uh, the same season the Texans their first inaugural season was the first year the or the sorry the last year the Titans made the AFC title game it would have been pretty spectacular for us maybe not for AFC's uh, or sorry uh, CBS's AFC yep. title game ratings but nonetheless yeah the Titans no matter what they do in the AFC title game you have to think of the season as a success at this point yeah that's a good segue because you you mentioned you know I'm sitting there as we go into this game on Sunday against the Chiefs between the Chiefs and the Texans and it's like okay you know this would be great for our podcast you know our our brand is the <laughs> AFC South to have an all AFC South you know title game after all the stuff we've said about both of these teams throughout the season and, and their ups and downs and all the different things all the questions and for one of these teams to go to the Super Bowl was going to be pretty incredible um, and then you know it's like it starts off and now obviously we're, we're going into this game uh-huh. the Texans get this 21 to nothing lead after the first quarter and I'm just I was too I was like I had my finger on the tweet button I'm like all right let's we're sending this out we're about to have this but it's so weird because even as I'm thinking that I'm like you know what though like I I don't know I just had this sense that the Chiefs were going to come back and do something to make this interesting now I don't think any of us could have expected and I will say right now I have never seen an NFL game turn as quickly as that game turned ever. I don't know how many years I've watched the NFL, I've never seen a game turn in a span of whatever it was, nine mm. minutes to where a team blows a 24-point lead um, in that fashion. Just an unbelievable turnaround. And I, there's, there's, I mean, we could talk about this game itself for 30 minutes probably because there are so many different aspects to this. <laughs> You, you look back on all these different things and you wonder, okay, what was it for the Texans that caused the Chiefs to score 41 straight points, um, fit, win 51 to 31? And, and everybody, I think, goes back to two things. And, and, you know, I think this can be debated. It's either the, the fourth down where it seemed like they were set to go for it, they called the timeout, they kicked the field goal, it was 24 nothing, or the genius idea to fake a punt inside of your own whatever 30 something yard line uh-huh. when you have a 17 or whatever was the lead uh, yeah, at that point and it's just like okay i don't i don't honestly i don't think it's one or the other i think it's a little of both the fake punt is worse because it's just like that to me seems like a no brainer the other one you can see it both ways you want to take points against a patrick mahomes led offense on the other side of things I don't know, man. It's like if you get that first down and you wind up scoring a touchdown and it's 28 to nothing, I know it's only a four-point difference, but I feel like mentally that's just a much bigger thing Uh to look at, I think, for the Chiefs. So what a fascinating game. What just (laughs) – again, I've never seen a game like that turn the way it did. 
No, it was just ridiculous to watch. It was hard to process in the moment. I've never seen such a shift, I feel like, in so quickly of all these, you know, either Chiefs fans or Chiefs, you know, people that are in the NFL or work in, you know, same kind of media business we do that are, you know, have been lifelong Chiefs fans that were just like the same old story and just how everything flipped so quickly. It was, it was ridiculous. Like the whole, uh, what from the memes to the tweets to everything just switched in so fast, just like the game itself. Before you knew it, like you said, it was just uh, all of a sudden they're back in it down by three they score those three touchdowns in under four minutes of game time it's not something we're used to seeing even from kansas city with how fast they're able to perform and produce but yeah i mean early in the game i we were here in the office working on it and i was saying you know like as a lot of people have noted it's not like they were getting dominated you have all the drops and then you have the the special teams errors and you don't usually have tyree kill dropping a punt like that and just everything was kind of going against them and you felt like you're like, you're looking at the clock. You're like, there's still 10:50 left in the second quarter. I'm not. I was like, I'm not saying they're gonna, you know, yeah. come back in the first half. <laughs> no. But you know, you felt like there was a lot of time. And I think, yeah, you're talking about those two decisions. Obviously, yeah, absolutely. The the one where they fake the punt is more costly. It's still, you know, honestly, if Sorensen doesn't make that tackle it still might have worked out and we wouldn't even have an issue with it but he made a great play but overall I think the it's not a surprise if you go if you've listened to our first couple of podcasts my feelings of Bill O'Brien he talked yeah. about his excuse or not I mean it ended up sounding like an excuse in the press conference but his reasoning for going for it on that fourth down in their own territory with the fake punt was he felt like they had the score touchdowns to win the game if that's the case you're tying <laughs> right. into why are you going it's fourth and inches uh. the Chiefs defense is is exhausted they've been out there the whole first half yeah. they're getting you know every Every time you run you're not getting like huge yardage but you could definitely have got a half yard it wasn't even a full yard there on that field goal that they kicked and it takes it from a three-score game to a three-score game. I know that includes uh, three uh, two-point conversions at that point, if you count it that way. But nonetheless, it's not. I just felt like you had a chance to really put your foot on their yeah. neck and put it down. And even if you know they still could have come back if they do convert there and score a touchdown, they're sure. But maybe you're not as uh, crazy in terms of your mindset to go for that fourth down in your own territory. You have to make the Chiefs use more of the clock and more time to, to kind of work their way back in the game. Make them earn it. You can't give them the ball back at the 30-something yard line. That's, I mean, like, that's the kind of play, if you called that on Madden, you'd have on the old school versions, Madden himself would be on the game <laughs> telling you how, like, ridiculous you are and, like, basically yeah. calling out you out for being a kid and not a real, <laughs> real football <laughs> mind. It's just not the thing you're supposed to do. And, yeah, I mean, uh, still, even at that point, they get, you know, they get the ball back to Chiefs and uh, now you get the, the the fumbled kickoff uh, on the ensuing uh, return after which it just kind of evened out all the stuff that happened in my mind uh, to the Chiefs early in the game I was like all right here we are we're reset basically and then from that point the better team won I mean the Chiefs defense didn't play uh, amazingly but they did enough and uh, obviously still as that 31 points they gave up I mean, you have 14 that are essentially from uh, the block punt and the muffed punt from the Chiefs. So the defense did its job, I mean, against a really good offense and Deshaun Watson still, you know, making plays when he had to at certain points. But the Chiefs were just too much. And uh, I mean, you're not (laughs) – it's not often you're going to get touchdowns and whatever it was, six or seven straight drives, six straight drives, I guess. Yeah. It was – it's just absurd to watch and I know we saw them early in the season you know they talked about week two when they had the four touchdowns in the one quarter against the Raiders this was not like that that was actually like you know start to finish of the quarter like four drives (laughs) this was just (laughs) a blink of an eye and the game is completely changed 41 points in like a basically a quarter and a half is what it comes down to (laughs) and and just the thought of that it goes back to what you said about Bill O'Brien and and it's weird you brought that up because we did say that going into the season 
it's one of those things where I think I saw too where the reasoning you know behind the not going for it on the fourth down was because he didn't have a play that he liked, and it's like, well, why not? Like, why don't you have a play that you like? If you're in the playoffs and you have a fourth and inches, basically, and you should have a play that you like because otherwise, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, it's you know, what if what if it's a twenty-one? You know, what if you're down or whatever, and you you need that play with five seconds left in the fourth quarter or anything like that? It's just. You got to have something there, and that's where I, I think mentally. Mm-hmm. I, again, I know it's a four-point difference, but you think about it this way too: in that, okay, let's say they don't kick the field goal, they go for it, they get the conversion, and then they do score a touchdown and go to twenty-eight to nothing. Well, you're probably shaving off another two or three minutes of the clock too at that point. At least, yeah. um, and so, you know, now we're talking about instead of kicking the field goal with eleven minutes left in the second quarter, maybe you're down to like eight minutes or something. And again, we can play the semantics and say, well, you know, what's a minute here or there? But still, I just think that's a much bigger mental obstacle for the Chiefs to overcome uh, than maybe just, you know, basically saying, we have all the momentum, whoops, we were going to go for it, now we're not, let's kick the field goal. We're here to tell you that we're ready to play conservative the rest of the way, and if you want to make a comeback, here you go. And so that's basically what happened, uh, like we said, with a lot of uh, wacky plays added in there. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just uh, what a game. And uh, I, I don't know, the Texans, I don't know. You I mean, again, if you're a Chiefs fan, you don't feel bad, but it's like, man, like they were – there, you can't ask for for more of a a driver's seat than that uh, in the first half, and to to have that game play out that way, uh, that one's definitely going to sting, and it certainly stings for us because uh, we don't get our all AFC South, uh, you know, AFC title game here, uh, but uh, that's okay. We should have a fun one between the Chiefs and the Titans, and uh, we'll talk about that one uh, once we get uh, in our next episode here later mm-hmm. in the week. All right, we wrap up the divisional round with. Um, I guess this game somewhat played out as expected to, uh, in a sense. The Packers are moving on to play the 49ers, uh, 28-23 winners over the Seahawks there. Um, It was one of those things, Dylan, where this was, I mean, really, you know, the Packers scored the early touchdown. I I just never had a sense, even going into the game, that I felt like the Seahawks were going to win this thing. Um, You just, the setup just did not seem to be great for them. Mm -hmm. I know they had, you know, the third quarter and all that, and you started to say, okay, well, maybe they're going to make a move here. And ultimately, it was a 28-23 game. They had a chance. Um, I know there are some people looking at certain spots and that type of thing and are going to bring that up. But, um, you know, still, I I wasn't surprised by this. I don't think many people were. Uh, The Packers just kind of did what they've done all year. I mean, they didn't blow them out like this. This is what we've said about the Packers all year long is they've played a lot of these close games. Um, they've won a lot of these close games. And that, you know, it seems like when we get in these spots, you just sort of assume that the Packers are going to find a way to win, and that's what they did here. Yeah, two similar teams in that way, kind of, with the Seahawks. Obviously, yeah. I've talked a lot and how much I don't think they're the – you know, they ended up at 11-5. and five. Maybe they're more of a 10-6 and six team with their uh, plus uh, their point differential being that plus seven for the regular season. Just a team that – I I don't know they really at at certain points you think they're much better and then you realize that their defense was just pretty hollow especially the back end I I know the the Packers had some great plays designed and Devontae Adams is one of the best route runners in the NFL but these guys were uh, getting open at a lot of points Aaron Rodgers to his credit looked more like a vintage version of himself than what we've seen for most of this year Uh, some of those throws that kind of clinched the game there at the end so uh, if you're a Green Bay fan that's a huge thing to think of moving forward I'd like to really quick point out I 
just thought of it that my my uh what was it mid-season super bowl pick is still oh no it's only the packers that i picked in the mid-season i had switched from the chiefs to the patriots so that one's gone man but at least my packers are still in it but nonetheless they looked better than they i thought they might be going into this game i still thought they were going to win as i mentioned the secondary for seattle has been so bad and uh, you know going into this game that uh, I thought of as the game was p- kind of playing out, it really bore what we talked about early in the season. Again, just kind of looking back at our preseason p- predictions, we talked about Bill O'Brien, we talked about Ryan Tannehill with the Titans, and we also talked about Brian Schottenheimer and the uh, way that they call games for Seattle. There were way too many run, 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 or run, run, pass uh, play calls on three and outs in the first half. They fall behind, and it's just a classic uh, kind of you know f- uh, format now for these games for the Seahawks, where they just be like, well, yep. all right, we're losing. Russell, go get us back in the game and he did his best he was on fire and you know they have that one drop over the middle if that doesn't happen on that last sorry I guess it was the yeah it was the last drive it ended up being after the Packers got a couple more first downs I mean that that really was a game changer the Packers defense at that point in the second half was gassed Seattle was finally finding a way to get a couple stops here and there and I, I just had a feeling at that point I was like man Russell's really going to do this he's he's going to will this team <laughs> with all of his injuries with its with Marshawn Lynch averaging 1.9 yards a carry he's really going to will this team to the <laughs> nfc title game and a team that you know as we talk about how complete the niners have been all year the seahawks yeah. uh, you know beat them obviously and then could have beaten them or came a yard short so for everything that seattle uh has you know everything i've criticized him for russell wilson is that good and you know for his sake and right here in his and his uh, prime really i you hope as a seahawks fan you're going to find a way to build a better team around him because if and you know maybe some better play calling around him i think that kind of was a difference here we've seen the packers have some issues with that but in this game it all seemed to be clicking for them on offense i know the second half wasn't perfect but as you said, it's, it hasn't been perfect all year for Green Bay. They find a way to get it done. And now, yeah, the biggest challenge for them of the season, we know how the first meeting went where they lost by, I think, 29 points in San Francisco or in Santa Clara. It's going to be a real big challenge for them. I, you know, we'll get to that game in our next episode. But, hey, they're still alive. Uh, all the people that said this 13, they might be one of the worst 13-3 and three teams <laughs> ever, whatever the DVOA uh, ratings show on that. I'm sure it's close. But nonetheless, uh, they're still alive, and that's all you can ask for at this point. Yeah. Yep. No, that's true. I mean, that's, uh, let me say, that's uh, the Packers haven't had a lot of success in the state of California this season, uh, as we know. But uh, they'll go back there and, and try to, you know, one win away now from making the Super Bowl and uh, potentially, you know, getting to, to face the Titans, of course, because uh, we know. I mean, <laughs> we have no expectations for the Titans, so we know that. Now. But seriously, um, it's something, like you said, these these two matchups are very intriguing in their, in their own different ways, like we said. And you've got some really good storylines. I mean, you just mentioned it. You know, the Packers lost as bad as they did in San Francisco, looked terrible in that game they played in the regular season and then with the titans and the chiefs you know the titans beat the chiefs and you know we go back to that playoff game there a couple years ago where the chiefs you know were a team that had all this you know that they were a team that had high expectations and all that the titans went in there and won surprisingly mm-hmm. uh in that game and so there's there's lots of things to certainly consider here and uh these should be two fun ones uh, I'd just like to say my my champion is still in this thing uh, with the Chiefs, so um, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. My Super Bowl's not intact because I had the Chiefs and the Saints, I think. So um, the Chiefs, though, still hanging on, trying to yep. try to help me rebound from that 0-4 uh, picks in the in the wild card round. So maybe we'll do a little bit better uh, here this week. But uh, as we said, we'll get into that later in the week. But uh, before we wrap up here, we do want to dive into some of the coaching carousel stuff. 
Now that all these jobs have been filled in the NFL, we talked about, uh, I think, only one of them uh, before. Again, we took our break uh, last week, and uh, Ron Rivera was hired with the Redskins. We knew that already. But the other hires have been made since then, and Dylan, uh, we'll talk a little bit about these, mm-hmm. maybe what stands out the most uh, just in terms of some of these jobs and maybe who we think made the best hire, who made the most questionable hire uh, based on where they're at. Uh, we can start with the Cowboys, which, you know, everything starts with the Cowboys, right? So um, <laughs> Mike McCarthy gets that job. Uh, I think, you know, as we saw it was going along, you know, I don't. it's not a surprise because as soon as you, you sort of realize that it was going to happen, they were going to break things off with Jason Garrett. And, you know, it seemed like Jerry Jones was really set on he had to hire somebody with experience and someone that certainly – you know, had the the best winning background, and if you looked at the pool of candidates that we looked at, certainly Mike McCarthy was the leader in that group because uh, he does have a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. He's worked with Aaron Rodgers. He did have success in Green Bay, and now he's in Dallas. And um, you know, he's got certainly offensive. I mean, they've got a nice setup. We know this. We've talked about it all year. I mean, they have a nice nucleus to work with, and uh, that's a hire that you know. He, I mean, if anyone understands, and I think Jerry Jones did make a good point on this. He doesn't make a ton of great points, but I thought he made a good one on this and that, look, Mike McCarthy does understand what it's like, you know, leading a team that is widely considered, you know, a just a – it's one of the most storied, you know, franchises in the NFL. And he understands the pressure and all that. So maybe, you know, he's able to kind of work through that. Whereas if you go out and bring in a, an Urban Meyer or a Lincoln Riley, someone like that, who has never been in that type of pressure cooker before, mm-hmm. um, you never know how that's going to play out. Yeah, it's definitely a safer choice. And yeah, I mean, in terms of building the culture and everything you want from that side, I don't think that should be a problem with Mike McCarthy. It, I mean, he's not the same coach as Jason Garrett, obviously a, a different feel here and a guy that, as we talked about previously, before he got hired, how, you know, the last, uh, this whole season since he got uh, let go by the Packers, he's really focused on, uh, you know, really uh, modernizing himself and his philosophies as an offensive coach. And you, well, I'm excited to see how it pans out. I mean, there's no way for all these coaching decisions to really grade them. I, we see before this podcast, we're looking at all these articles that are winners and losers, and we still, you know, even at clutch points, we got to take some predictions here. But nonetheless, we're not going to find out really if these things pan out until at least a year or two down the line. Not every team's the, uh, the Browns firing guys after one year. But uh, I, given his loyalty with Jason Garrett, I imagine Mike McCarthy will be in Dallas for a long time and now. Yeah, the challenge, there's expectations couldn't be higher, but he's had the same uh, situation in the past. Uh, he <laughs> took over at the end of the, the Favre era in Green Bay and then yep. uh, you know slid right in with Aaron Rodgers. He's had some great quarterbacks. It's going to be a different quarterback for sure, style-wise, than Dak Prescott, but I'm excited to see how he utilizes him. I think a fresh, uh, you know, just overall a fresh approach here was what was needed for Dallas. And while maybe it's not the, the same flashy kind of like risky hires you're talking about with guys like Lincoln Riley and the college uh, offensive minds out there. I think it's uh, you know a safe choice that could end up working out quite well for them. They have the infrastructure to to compete, and yeah, expectations next year will be high. Um, and I, I will, I'll be surprised, you know, given yeah, we'll see how the Eagles bounce back. But the Cowboys uh, really, <laughs> if, they, if they if they have another down year, that's going to be. We'll see how the. I don't think the pressure cooker is going to you know turn up that quickly on McCarthy given Jerry Jones's past. But you know he doesn't have the same connections to McCarthy as he did with Garrett being you know a player and the organization and all the things between the the families of Garrett as he came up in that uh, with Dallas. 
Yep, and some of the other ones here, you know, staying in that division, um, the Giants, who, you know, I said I thought, a, you know, a certain Patriots uh, assistant would be the best, you know, for that job. Well, it runs out I had the wrong assistant. Um, <laughs> I thought Josh McDaniels may be a good fit there with that, yeah. young, that young offensive nucleus that they have. Uh, but it turns out it's Joe Judge, and uh, as we know, he's gotten a lot of praise in terms of uh, someone that Belichick's certainly really high on. You hear all the things about him, sort of his his background, and you know certainly uh, we always say winning the press conference, that kind of stuff. I mean, he's you know says all the right things, very impressive. Um, but uh, as we know, not always easy to turn that into to winning on the field. But um, that that's an interesting one. I think that the same can probably be said for for the Matt Rule one with the Panthers, mm-hmm. um, because you know really as we know, I mean the Giants were certainly interested in him. Uh, but ultimately it was the Panthers that, that made him the better deal, gave him what he wanted. And uh, so I, those two are, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's its one where, and we always say this in a situation where anytime you have guys who are, are first-time head coaches in the NFL, and we'll get to another one here in just a second, but, you know, with those two specifically, I, I know, like, they, they, they have been praised. There's all sorts of positive you can see with this, but, like, I have no idea. Like, how do we really know exactly, you know, how things are going to turn out for either one of these guys? Um, but I will say this. They do have two of the best running backs in the NFL, and that's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, for Matt Rule, I, I know everything you hear about is how impressive he was in these interviews, and you, you could watch the press conference itself and make your own and uh, have your own opinion on that. And, you know, his rise is uh, just from a, you know, outside of what it means for the Panthers for him individually to how quickly he's risen up the ranks is beyond impressive where he's come from and all the things he's gone through so yeah it's we'll see how yeah as we just said with the Cowboys do it's it's really hard to know until we see these teams on the field and that's obviously not going to be for quite a few months at this point uh yeah for the Panthers I thought you know I thought Eric Bietnamy would have been a, a solid choice as well I'm surprised overall if we think about the different guys that may have been snubbed we'll see if any other openings happen it's sounds like bill o'brien's gonna be fine in houston but there are a lot of a lot of people after that game saying you know what who would be a good replacement would be being me the guy that just yep. put up 51 on him but nonetheless um yeah with rule i mean we'll see how it goes with them a lot of things as we talked about the last time we recorded about the panthers that need a lot of work in terms of you know that run defense and that's not something that he's going to be able to necessarily solve on his own he's going to have to figure out not just in terms of what they're doing personnel wise but coaching wise how he's going to put that together and then for joe judge I mean, from uh, kind of a guy that out of really nowhere um, in terms of the people that we were talking about and what we were seeing online and all the reports coming out about these candidates, not a huge name out there. And you learn more about him and you hear that, you know, when Belichick wasn't there, he was kind of the guy running the show. And, uh, you know, special teams coordinators, uh, obviously John Harbaugh is the one that comes to mind in terms of a guy that sees the overall approach of the game, knows exactly what everyone on the field, whether it be special teams, offense, defense needs to do. I mean, you bring in Judge here, it's it's interesting hire for sure. And he must have made a great impact on the Mara family. And we'll see how it goes for them. Uh, Maybe a tougher situation in terms of uh, what they're going to do with some of the things on their defense and all the issues there but nonetheless yeah it's uh two guys that weren't i mean matt rule kind of rose quickly and was a name we were, were not really shocked to see be one of these hires but for judge yeah uh not not when i was ready to uh try to analyze until you know i saw the hiring i was like all right i need to read up on this guy yep no that one did it came out of nowhere and uh we'll see like we said that that entire division as we know is very in a very interesting spot and uh you know you have three new coaches you have the eagles 
we're going to try to bounce back. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a fun one to watch here. See how those uh, franchises progress here. And then we wrap up, of course, with the Browns, who uh, made the last hire of the uh, coaching carousel. Well, we'll see, like we said, with Bill O'Brien. Who knows? So, um, But uh, we think it's the last hire of the, the 2020 coaching cycle in the NFL, in terms of head coaches, uh, they go with Kevin Stefanski, uh, the Vikings offensive coordinator. And and I know this is one a lot of people are talking about, too, because of the way the whole thing played out. And, you know, this, this whole timing thing is always a situation that I think a lot of people look at and say, man, is there is there a way that we can do this better? Then? Because, and, and you know, and, and you see the reports and rumors and everything about how the Browns actually didn't know which way they were going to go before mm-hmm. that Vikings 49ers game. And, of course, you know, ultimately the the best rumor, I guess, is that it it came down to Stefanski and Robert Sala, of course, the Niners' <laughs> defensive coordinator. And, and everyone's making the point, well, you go with the guy who loses that game instead of the guy who wins that game because you don't want to wait as long. Um, it, it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic, I think, in the way this works. But – Again, at the same time, I, you know, I guess what do you do because you know that there there aren't going to be teams that are going to wait until after the playoffs for their. It's just a, it's something that teams don't like to do. We know that they want to try to get things going as quickly as possible after they make a, a coaching firing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just I don't know. Still to say that I'm just like really like do you think now that's not a knock on Kevin Stefanski. It's obviously that's just putting a compliment on certainly what we've seen Robert Sala do. Uh, with the Niners defense but uh, still I mean Stefanski someone they loved last year uh, ultimately you know he, he's there with the Vikings and now you know the second time around they get him as their guy uh, where they go from here I have no idea because I'm, I'm done trying to figure out the Browns and kind of what's what's going to happen with them yeah um, I mean <laughs> just thinking about this one it's funny yeah because obviously last year like you're saying Stefanski was one of the top candidates if John DiBattista could have had his way he would have been hired and uh, they finally have kind of given him more control of the team and it's not surprising that Josh McDaniels did not uh, get hired because he was not yeah. down to he wanted as you know uh, wanted to kind of over you know restructure their whole setup there and he was not down for these uh, as you probably saw as well the, the meetings that uh, the Haslam family wants to have every monday over you know hour or two with the head coach um and how on you know the game plan has to be run by the analytics team and they want uh, uh, someone in in the head coach's ear and uh during the games uh, in terms of analytics decisions you know I, I imagine it's not like play calling but more of what you know what is the win probability if we go for it on this fourth down things that are like that and you know mcdaniels does know those things he's not <laughs> this is not a guy that's short on <laughs> analytics knowledge i know stefanski's known for that as well um, in terms of him and just real quick I mean Sala has as I we talked about you know he's done a great job absolutely and not trying to take anything away but in terms of the talent with his defensive line versus that Vikings offensive line that's not really something that coaches can control (laughs) so I want to give some credit with Stefanski on that end and to Sala yeah I mean he uh, obviously I think a guy that looks like he could uh, build a culture pretty well with what he's done with that 49ers defense I thought uh, you know one of the knocks on BNME is going back to him was that he doesn't call plays and you see all the (laughs) the footage of him during that uh 
playoff game against the Texans, calling literally calling plays. He's more than ready, but you know Stefanski has been, and you know we'll see how it goes for the Browns. I, uh, you know, the one thing we know with them though is that with that ownership, it doesn't mean that you're going to be there that long. And um, we'll see what if he's able to turn around quickly. There's going to be a ton of pressure there too. It's not the same kind. It's a different pressure than the Cowboys. This isn't a, a you know one of the. Uh, cornerstone franchises in terms of success and that's trying to get back on and you have a owner as we talked about that's going to give you a long leash that, that is not the case even with Stefanski and this now with De Podesta this could be you know himself putting his job on the line because if it doesn't work out I, you won't be surprised to see the Browns quickly move to the next guy and who wants to take that job I mean Josh McDaniels credit to him for being willing uh, you know initially but also uh, to go to an organization where he knows that it's you know any moment could be fired but at the same time props to him for sticking to what he you know his you know he wasn't going to take a job where he's going to be forced into a situation like this where he did not like the setup in terms of all the restraints put on him and uh, yeah uh, that's one thing that I worry for Stefanski's sake is is he going to really be able to allow, you know, allowed to do his own thing, or is he going to be kind of at the hands of not even just the analytics department, which is fine, but uh, ownership really at the end of the day? Yep, uh, it's it's interesting, like you said, and that that's going to bring me to this, and we're going to wrap up with this now. We're doing this for fun, as we both just said. We have no idea how any of these coaching hires are going to play out, but everyone loves to play hypotheticals and play the what if game, so that's what we have to do. It's we're contractually obligated to play this and so that's what we're going to do here dylan all right i'm going to give you this question and i was thinking about this and i'm I'm pretty sure i feel pretty good about my answer on this one all right three years which coach in three years will have had the biggest impact on their specific team so again and that's not to say which will be the best team but let's say Hmm. which coach will have had the biggest impact in terms of let's say where that is right now to maybe what the team looks like, what the future of the team looks like three years from now. I think the risk of Stefanski is going to eliminate him. <laughs> Judge and rule. I mean, the, whether the quarterback situations are great, the, some of the other issues. It probably comes down to Ron Rivera and Mike McCarthy. In terms of McCarthy, that three-year window might have to include, you know, at least getting yep. really far in the playoffs, at least maybe to an NFC title game, maybe a Super Bowl. And for Rivera, I think impact-wise, why I might pick him is you're taking an organization that I thought and a lot of people have thought is kind of lost and now Bruce Allen's gone and you have a guy that maybe can actually make Dan Schneider not so yeah. so uh, <laughs> uh, you know getting in the way really so in terms of overall saving a franchise potentially Ron Rivera has a chance to have the biggest impact in my mind but yeah him and McCarthy are the two I'd think of and the, but the what they're doing is so different for uh you know Dallas that's not necessarily the case it's more about actually winning whereas Rivera's yeah. taking it a once proud fan- franchise and kind of putting them back into the conversation at least that's what I went with that's the one I was leaning towards because I like you said I think you're going from you're taking a bad bad franchise and potentially putting them in a spot I think within three years where they can make the playoffs, you know, not a regular, I mean, potentially on a regular type of basis. Um, you know, it's it's just a matter of, you know, what are the pieces that are in place and all that. But I would lean towards that because, like you said, the reason I didn't pick McCarthy either was because I think for that, that means that they have to probably get to a Super Bowl. Like, I feel like that's probably the biggest mm-hmm. impact in that three-year stretch, given the talent on the roster. 
um i'm like that's the expectation and and i'm just i'm not ready to go there yet so uh we'll see we'll see what happens but certainly the talent there for the cowboys but we'll both uh, i guess go with ron rivera and take him in this three-year window so when we're recording this podcast three years from now uh we're gonna we're gonna mark it down and we're gonna see uh, who was right and who was wrong but uh in all seriousness uh we uh will wrap it up there uh, for this particular episode and obviously we will look ahead on the uh, the next episode at the title matchups in the AFC, in the NFC, Chiefs, Titans, Packers, 49ers. Uh, we'll talk all about that in our episode later in the week. Uh, but for now, Dylan, uh, we have a lot of great playoff stuff going up uh, over at Clutch Points and lots of great stuff to get people ready uh, for these upcoming games. Uh, so let everybody know where they can find all that. Yeah, clutchpoints.com under the NFL section. You can find, as Blake mentioned, all of our analysis of these games, a lot of stuff going into um, outlooks for teams moving forward that are out, uh, you know, draft stuff already. We're getting all diving into that, but also, uh, you know, diving into these games in depth. So, yeah, clutchpoints.com under the NFL section. Any coaching updates, all the uh, at least big coordinator jobs, all that stuff's going to be covered there. And then with uh, following the games themselves, download the Clutch Points app. You can read all of our NFL content there as well but you can follow along with the games We've got some more subscribers this weekend the playoffs always uh, help give us a chance to get a nice little bump in terms of promoting that so yeah appreciate all the new followers and hope you guys stick uh, in there and follow along during the games and communicate uh, you know with all the other fans in there and uh, take in all the analysis that kind of complements the games themselves and yeah for the uh, for the podcast itself uh, obviously any of the places you already listen to like Spotify iTunes if there's a an outlet you want us to add our, our feed to let us know and all the podcasts can be found at the website as well under clutchpoints.com under the podcast tab there so yeah looking forward to breaking down these two games it's crazy you'll need two more real Sundays of football um, I, I'm not going to count the Pro Bowl I'm sorry but also yep. really excited for tonight's national title game I couldn't be more stoked to see Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence face off alright who you got Oh, like my I, I feel like my like I want LSU to kind of get a new champion but I, there's something about me that's like man yeah. the Clemson winning three and four titles becoming the new Alabama like subtly yeah. um, without like, any, they're, they're really relishing that uh, underdog role and I, you know how they performed against Ohio State I, I, I thought they were going to lose that game for sure and they, they found a way to win I still think LSU that will be my pick I do not feel good though about <laughs> that I, I'm just you know I'm excited to see what happens though I'm with you what I, about you I, I pick LSU but I just get that sense that I so Clemson's just they always find a way and uh, we'll see but uh, no doubt we'll be talking a lot more about those two quarterbacks here uh, as we, we move along for sure based on uh, their potential here at the NFL level uh, so we'll talk more about that as Dylan said check out Clemson points uh, subscribe to the podcast uh, lots more great stuff on the way here to get you ready uh, for these upcoming matchups this weekend so uh, be sure to subscribe and we'll talk to you guys next time here on the establish the past podcast